This is The Political Scene, and I'm David Remnick. It's been a decade since a slogan, a hashtag, made its way around the world. And unlike most hashtags, this one stuck. Three words, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter doesn't sound like a radical proposition. In fact, it should be self-evident. But those words became a rallying cry. Then an organization, and then a movement that rivaled the civil rights era of 50 years earlier. The phrase Black Lives Matter first appeared in a Facebook post after an unarmed teenager, Trayvon Martin, was shot and his killer walked free. After George Zimmerman was acquitted, I think there was a real sense, I mean, I can speak for myself and and other black folks that I know, uh, not just that justice had not been served, but that that verdict essentially said to black people across this country that our lives don't matter, that we can be holding a Skittles and an iced tea and still be killed, uh, that we can be sitting in our cars and gas stations listening to loud music and be killed, uh, that we can be knocking on someone's door and asking for help and be shot. Alicia Garza was one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, and we spoke in 2016. And at its height, in the worldwide protests that followed George Floyd's murder, Black Lives Matter also became a lightning rod for all kinds of backlash, including a newly energized white supremacy movement. And this week, we're looking at Black Lives Matter in its 10th year. So let's start at the beginning. Breaking overnight, the verdict is in. We, the jury, find George Zimmerman not guilty. Protests break out after the high-stakes trial that gripped the country. Sabrina, it has been 11 years since your youngest son, Trayvon Martin, was killed in Sanford, Florida. When people don't know what happened in 2012, how do you go about telling them? Oftentimes, I do, um, you know, start from the beginning and tell people who I am and how I became a speaker and how I became an activist and a, a writer and all of those things. Sabrina Fulton is Trayvon Martin's mother. A lot of people know, you know, my youngest son, but I have two boys. I have one in heaven and I have one on earth. So, you know, a lot of people think that there are triggers, but I guess it just feels natural to me to talk about my son, just like any other parent. And so I tell them about Trayvon Martin was 17 years old. He was unarmed. And you had a vigilante that was 28 years old that followed him, chased him, um, profiled him, and ultimately shot and killed him. Trayvon was unarmed, and he was 17, and he thought as a 17-year-old. What do you mean he thought as a 17-year-old? As a he was actually on the telephone call with a young lady, one of his friends that was here in Miami, and he was not paying attention, you know, he's just like another kid, not paying attention and not being aware of his surroundings. Something parents tell you all the time, you know, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. But he had candy and he had a drink and he was coming from the store, headed back to where him and his dad were staying at the time. And somebody took it upon themselves as a neighborhood watch captain, a wannabe police officer, 
but he decides that he wants to follow Trayvon to find out where he's going or who he is, you know? And I just want to say this, that we have to be careful for all our kids because Trayvon Martin could have been anybody's son at 17. Tell me a little bit about Trayvon himself. Um, tell me about his name. Tell me what he was like. Where did he get his name from? He got his name from his dad because his dad's name was Tracy, but he didn't want to name him Tracy. So mm -hmm. he came up with Trayvon, and I agreed. And tell me what he was like as a kid. He was, he was very affectionate. He was definitely a mama's boy. <laughs> he liked to eat chips and and popcorn and candy and he he just was a big kid. He loved airplanes, but what he didn't know if he wanted to fix the plane or did he want to fly the plane. How long did it take for you to recover from the initial shock of his death? And in that same year, you and your family founded the Trayvon Martin Foundation. Um. I think I'm going to be recovering from his death the rest of my life because it's so unnatural to bury a child. Um, it's the worst pain ever because I've lost family members, but this is the first child that I've lost. And uh, it, it's just, it's something that's severe that if you have not experienced this you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't understand losing a person that you carry for nine months. And now that person is walking, your heart is walking outside your body, literally. And now your heart has been killed. And now you have to continue to function. You have to continue to move forward. You have to continue to be uh, trusting God. You have to continue to be positive and try to live your life. And it's hard. It's a struggle. It's a struggle every day. I'm, I'm still Trayvon Martin's mom. I'm still Jabari's Fulton's mom. It doesn't matter how old they are. I'm always going to be mom. At what point did it become obvious to you that Trayvon's name would become this... Uh, it, it just took on a hugely important and resonant... Um, presence in the world and a, a year later Black Lives Matter was first posted on social media I think when we went to New York we was at Union Square they had something called the Million Hoodie March and we had just finished doing like a a whole set of interviews with different people about what had happened we was trying to get an arrest and uh, Reverend Sharpton was the last person we interviewed with and he said you know they're doing a million hoodie rally and since you guys are in town in new york you should stop over and um and and just say a few words and thank the people so we thought maybe okay a few people would be out there and and we was just gonna go out there i was already sick i'm not used to new york weather i'm used to florida weather of course and we went out there and when we got out the vehicles it was like packed with people like it was thousands of people and we were like what's going on and they they were like this is the million hoodie rally and what i found out later is that 
uh, organization got this together in like about two to three days because it was so many people out there. I'm not going to say they didn't know who he was. They definitely knew who he was, but they had never met him. It resonated with a lot of people. A lot of people felt they didn't quite feel what we were feeling, but it hurt. One thing I, I think about now as we are talking about this, my son, who was 17 years old, who was unarmed, was on the ground, deceased. The person that was standing over him with a loaded gun was able to go home into his, and get in his bed. He went to the police station and then he went, he went home. My son went to the morgue. They did a drug and alcohol testing on my son but they never did drug and alcohol testing and a background check on the person who stood over him with the loaded gun. It seems twisted. It, it looks like you would do drug and alcohol testing on the person who shot the gun, not the person who received the bullet. So that right there shows you that United States has a problem with color, number one, because had my son shot someone, they definitely would have did a background check on him. They definitely would have did a drug and alcohol testing on him. And he would have been behind bars that night. It, 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 he was so resonant it, it, that I think I remember President Obama saying, if I'd had a son, he would look like Trayvon Martin. Yes. But my main message is, is uh, to the parents of uh, Trayvon Martin. You know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. And... Um, you know, I think they are right to expect that all of us as Americans uh, are going to take this with the seriousness it deserves and that we're going to get to the bottom of exactly what happened. Right. The, the next year, in 2013, you testified in front of a Senate subcommittee to demand changes to what's called the Stand Your Ground Laws. What did you know about the law before Trayvon was killed? What did Trayvon know, if anything? And what and what do you know now? I had no clue what Stand Your Ground was. It was through our attorneys that told us. I, I think most people had not heard about Stand Your Ground. They knew about the Castle Doctrine, me, meaning you can protect yourself in your own household. But nobody really heard about the Stand Your Ground law. Sabrina, at around the same time that Black Lives Matter started, you founded something called Circle of Mothers, which is a nonprofit organization that hosts retreats for grieving mothers. Yes. I got up in the middle of the night and I got a paper and I got a pen and I just started writing because it was as if I had already been to the Circle of Mothers. I can't even explain it. I got on the, uh, the phone and I started sending text messages out and I told them, listen, you all have to um, meet with me so I can tell you this idea that I had. People were telling me about their 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 dogs, their grandmother, their great grandmother, a mother, father. It's nothing like losing a child. You know, they think it's, it's even. They think it's, it's, you know, and I don't want to take away from someone's loved one. But by the same token, it's not the same thing. The only person that reached out to me that I felt really understood what I was going through was 
Tupac Shakur's mother, Afeni Shakur. She was my first keynote speaker. And, and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I'm going to take it to my grave because I felt like nobody understood. Eight years after your son died came the summer of 2020 and George Floyd and an uprising in many cities around this country, many cities and towns, and people thought things would get markedly better. Have they? Mm, to a certain extent, yes. I I have seen police officers now being arrested and actually being convicted and going to jail. Um, even with George Floyd, we didn't have a lot of faith that that officer um, was going to be uh, held accountable for his actions. You know, and, and we can't have that. I mean, right before our eyes. So I was, you know, not happy. But I, I felt like it's about time they did something about it. He had a trial, he had a jury, and he was convicted, and he's in jail. Okay, that one was held accountable. But there's so many others that were not held accountable. Sabrina Fulton is the mother of Trayvon Martin and her group Circle of Mothers hosts an annual retreat for mothers who've lost children to gun violence. 